Welcome back to the podcast. This is Charlotte, creative and technical director here at Evidence for Faith. I don't have much for you guys today, so we're just going to jump straight into it. We are in episode 18 of The Road to Emmaus, Messianic Prophecies of the Old Testament. I'm going to be so happy when we're done with this series because hopefully the next title is not this long. <laughs> Anyways, this program is supported by listeners just like you. If you'd like to help support this broadcast and keep it free, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And with that, here is Michael Lane in episode 18 of The Road to Emmaus, Messianic Prophecies of the Old Testament. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane, in our series that we're doing called The Road to Emmaus. Glad you're joining us today for this lesson. Uh, whether you're traveling, working, or sitting at a desk, or just relaxing in a lounge chair, whatever, I'm sure many of you are not sitting at a pool uh, at this time of year if, because I'm recording this and it's in February and it's all very cold outside with a lot of snow. But as we go through uh, this series, we've been seeing so many things, so many prophecies written hundreds of years, centuries, many cases, um, many, many centuries before Jesus actually was born and did his earthly ministry. And all these prophecies concerning the suffering Messiah uh, have come true. Jesus fulfilled um, so many prophecies, considering um, there's a, like around 250 um, prophecies in total. There's about 80 or so major ones. Um, and he fulfilled all these that predicted of how the suffering Messiah, Jesus when he came, the suffering Messiah, what he would do, how the Jews would recognize him. And as we're going through this, we are still in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah for two more lessons. Um, and as we're going through, I'm numbering these to keep us in a numerical sequence. So this is number 61. So if you've got a notebook and you've been taking notes or um, just marking things in something, or if you're just sitting there just paying attention, that's fine. Um, we're at number 61, and this is today. We're going to be starting off with Isaiah chapter 42. Chapter 42, and it's going to be the um, basically the first nine verses of chapter two, 42. And I'm entitling this one, The Servant Messiah. The Servant Messiah. So let's read what the Bible has on this in Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. And, and again, we're using the English Standard Version, which is a word-for-word -word translation. And since we're looking at words of prophecy, I didn't want to use a thought-for-thought -thought like an NLT or an NIV or the message or something like that. I didn't want to go into that. I wanted to go into a, a readability one, one people could understand. The English Standard Version is written like on about an eighth grade reading level. So, And it's a word-for-word -word translation, and that's why I have chosen to use this. But let's let's pick up with this. So... Beginning in Isaiah chapter 42, we read, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my servant, my spirit, upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice 
in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, and this is my name. My glory I give to no others, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold the former things that have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now, this is a fantastic thing. You probably caught um, many things specifically dealing with Jesus, because we've already covered some of these in other prophecies, um, where it talks about being a light to the nations, like Jesus will be the light to the world. It talks about a new covenant coming, and Jesus established a new covenant, which took place, and we celebrate this at communion. When you have communion of the Lord's service, um, uh, past the sacraments, um, depending on what denomination, what church you go to, what you want to call it, if you'll recall reading out of this, we, we take... Jesus took the cup, it says, and and blessed it, and um, he said this this cup is the New Testament or the New Covenant. This is a word for that, a new covenant in my blood. So he was um, giving us a new covenant. It also talks about opening the eyes of the blind. Well, again, we talked about this in, in a previous lesson. Nobody, no prophet ever in Old Testament times ever opened up the eyes of the blind. No one was able to do that. So anybody could do that. It's always dealing with God. Only God himself does this. And Jesus, this was one of his frequent miracles, was healing those who were born blind. And so that's an act of God. No prophet ever did it. Only Jesus has done this. And and we see this, and he talks about bringing in the prisoners out of the dungeon, out of darkness. Well, sin many times referred to as darkness. And Jesus uh, freed us, broke the bonds of sin for us, the fetters of sin that bound us. He broke those. And I mean, this just goes on and on. There's so many wonderful things. But one of the first things that it mentions right off at the beginning is he's called my servant. So servant here is talking about um, another messianic title, a title for the Messiah. Um, we sing many songs that have different messianic titles in them, and servant is one of them. Jesus came as a servant, as a suffering Messiah, and that's who he was. And it, it talks about that, you know, his spirit was upon him. And, and plus, he's going to give the spirit, which he does. He gives that to us. And I meant in verse 2, it talks about that he wouldn't cry out loud, um, he, that he's not going to be um, making a big commotion, large riots, which is what many times even his disciples were even asking. And people are asking, Jesus, is it, is it at this time you're going to overthrow the Romans? No, he came as the suffering Messiah, the servant Messiah in his first uh, ministry here on earth. When he comes back again, he will be different. He won't be the suffering, quiet, humble, grace-filled um, Messiah. He's going to be the victorious warrior judge, judge, king Messiah. But um, that's what's coming in the future.
And it talks about, uh, you know, um, him bringing justice to the earth, justice. And it, it, it says, did you catch this in verse four? It says justice to the whole world, to all in, of the earth, even the Gentiles. And then we, we know this. The Gentiles are, are able to become members of this new covenant. Gentiles can become Christians. And that was a hard one for the for the early church, which were made up of Jews. Um, all of them were Jews at the beginning, and they had a hard time with this. Um, just read the first uh, uh, half of Acts. You see that this becomes a big issue. Even when Paul goes out at, at the Holy Ghost, telling him to, to go out on a mission trip to the Gentiles, and he comes back and he finds that the church is really having problems. Uh, some of the Christians were having problems that Gentiles were becoming Christians. Um, this is a prophecy that the Gentiles would. We've, we've already seen prophecies in previous lessons that, that include the Gentiles in salvation. It came first to the Jews, through the Jews, but it goes out to all the earth, to all people. And that's what's so cool about this. Now, what also I want to point out to you, oh, there's a lot in here. We could keep going for a while, but there's a lot in here. But I want to show you another fascinating thing. In the book of Matthew, Matthew's gospel, um, Matthew actually quotes this passage, the first four verses of this passage, in his gospel. And it's, he records it in Matthew chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. And this is definitely then, since Matthew is using it to describe who the Messiah is and that Jesus is the Messiah, we know that without a shadow of a doubt, this is a messianic prophecy. And we're going to see this as, as I go through this now. Uh, um, they reveal a character side of the Messiah that was not fully expected um, by the, the Hebrew people, the, the Jews. They didn't expect the Messiah when he came that he would be a servant. But this is what Matthew writes. Again, Matthew 12, 17 through 21. This was to fulfill that which was, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is an absolutely beautiful prophecy. And then the next five verses uh, that you find in Isaiah from this, um, as we just talked about in general here, are characteristics of how you would recognize the Messiah, what he would be like, showing him to be compassionate, showing him to be loving, helpful to fallen man, uh, even to the point of healing, healing the blind. And we all know that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus was the healing, the suffering Messiah, full of compassion. And that's why we are living today in the age of grace. We still have time to, for people to turn and repent from their sinful ways and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But friends, the time is running out. We're coming towards the last days of the last days in which we will see when the Messiah comes again, when Jesus comes again, the period of grace is going to be pretty much over because he's coming as a warrior judge king. What the Jews back at the first century were expecting, now they're going to get it because they missed the suffering Messiah, but they're going to realize Jesus when he comes again and they will recognize him. So Jews, 
and Christians, we're both expecting right now the same Jewish Messiah to come. And he is going to come again. So this is a fascinating prophecy about this and um, talking about the servant Messiah. So that's number 61. Let's go to number 62. Number 62, we're still in Isaiah, of course. And this is Isaiah chapter 49. And it's verses 1 through 13. So this is sort of a longer passage that we see here again. Um, Isaiah 49, 1 through 13. And I'm calling this one, the subtopic for this is the great servant. Yes, we just got done calling him a servant. But now um, through the Holy Spirit, Isaiah is given more glimpses of the Messiah when he comes and more about him being a great servant. So let's read this one together as we go through. So if you're following along or if you're just listening to my voice, that's fine. So we begin Isaiah 49, 1 through 13. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. And he made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord said, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength, he says. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and the Holy One to whom to one deeply despised Aboard by the nations, the servants of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I've helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land to apportion the desolate heritage, saying to the prisoners, Come out to those who are in darkness. Appear, and they shall feed along the ways, and all the bare heights shall be their pastures. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching winds nor sun shall strike them. For he who has, had, has pity on them will lead them, and by the springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highway shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west and from the land of Cyrene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord, I, have comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Now, 
This passage here, as we're going through this one, this passage continues to describe, as I said, a servant Messiah. And we saw some of the exact same wording of what we just saw in the previous one. Um, we, we saw practically the same things in, in certain cases, a light to the nations, um, and in this case, to, to the despised. He's talking about salvation going to the ends of the earth, the Gentiles. It describes uh, describes also that this Messiah, this this great servant, would be born of a woman. Uh, talking about the Christmas story here, of course. So this passage continues to describe the Messiah as a servant. But actually, it's divided into two sections. You can easily divide this prophecy, this entire prophecy, into two major sections. The first one is the first seven verses, one through seven. And this is sort of like, uh, these first seven verses are more like the universal task the universal task of the Messiah. Like this first verse, and we see the audience, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. You see, again, the Messiah is for all mankind, not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. This is what this passage is talking about. Um, the Messiah would be for everybody. The Messiah, it says, would open his mouth like a sharp sword. Hmm. That's very similar to what we read in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, we read, In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in, in full strength. Again, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, And to the angel of the church of uh, Pergunum write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So, we see this talking like uh, being compared, Isaiah, to uh, the book of Revelation. He would also come to give judgment, though, judgment to the world. In verse 2, he mentions about arrows. Arrows are used in the Old Testament to show forth God's judgment. Let me give you a, case, a couple of cases of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 23, we read, And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. This is God speaking to the people. And as a form of judgment, he uses the term arrow. He, he uses this as for symbolism. Also in Deuteronomy 32, same, same chapter, go down to verse 42, though. It says, I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh, with the blood of the slain and the captives, and from the long-haired uh, heads of the enemy. But again, we see arrows being used as judgment. And there's a classic story from the, the book of 2 Kings, chapter 13, verses 15 through 19, uh, dealing with Elisha. And um, when, when one of the kings was um, coming to Elisha, and Elisha prophesied about him, about God's judgment coming. Picking it up, um, it reads, this is 2 Kings 13, 15 through 19, and Elisha said to the king, take a bow and arrows, and he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For when you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end to them. And he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck the ground three times and then stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the floor five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you made it an, an end to it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Again, arrows here being used as a judgment of God. The Messiah is going to come as a judge 
in the second coming, he will come like that. In verse 4, we read that he, uh, this servant would be discouraged because it reads, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength. So he's discouraged. This is, this is sounding a, like the person's a little down here at this point. So this indicates the Messiah would experience opposition, of course, and that he would suffer. This is the suffering Messiah. It's another passage for this. Those familiar with the life of Jesus will have no problem whatsoever connecting the meaning of the suffering Messiah to Jesus himself. And one of the key themes in this passage also is that this, this servant's going to be a light. For go back and you look at verse 6, it reads, I will make you as a light for all the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. As we've already discussed, Jesus is the light of the world. We've seen this with other prophecies. And we, we know that Jesus even claimed this many times. In the book of John in particular, he claims to be the light of the world. Now, that was the first section, like I said. That's the universal task of the Messiah. And then you get to the second part of this passage in Isaiah, the verses 8 through 13. This is more about the victorious, uh, the victorious nature of the servant. Um, so these verses here, 8 through 13, and actually this deals with the future coming of the Messiah. So it's a little bit beyond the scope of our, our, prop, um, of our lesson here, the road to Emmaus, about him in the future, but that's what this is talking about. And in, in the future, the, um, it talks about what the Messiah would do, that um, he would be, you know, the servant Messiah would come, and he's going to free the people from darkness, and um, it gets into the needs of the people and stuff, but it's more talking talking about in future events at that time. Well, that's number 62. Let's go to number 63. So we're moving right along. And in this one here, um, this will be the last one in this series, or in this lesson that we're doing today. But number 63, number 63, this is going to be Isaiah chapter 50. In Isaiah chapter 50, we're going to look specifically at just one verse today um, as we look at this. So it's Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, and I'm calling this one the mocked servant. The mocked servant. Wow. You're starting to see a theme here with Isaiah. <laughs> he keeps calling him a servant as it keeps going through here. And we're going to see that this too is messianic, dealing specifically with Jesus. It's another prediction that the Messiah is going to suffer. That Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Jews should recognize the Messiah when he comes because not only is it going to be a light to the world, not only will he set in a new covenant, but he will be doing miracles like healing the blind, etc. But another thing, he's going to be mocked. He's not going to be accepted by everybody. Not everyone accepted Jesus as the Messiah. As a matter of fact, very few did. Why? It was prophesied that's exactly what was going to happen. Because people would not even recognize, they would be so far away from walking with God that when God appears before them, they don't even recognize him. So they refuse. Matter of fact, some of them, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees actually called Jesus Beelzebub and called him, you know, an agent of Satan or the king of demons. I mean, that's how messed up these people were. They couldn't even see Holy God standing before them and teaching them. He was teaching in parables, which is exactly what, what prophecy had said. That he would raise people from the dead, and he had done that. And he would heal the blind, and he would, he would uh, help the mute to be able to speak. And he would do all these miracles. And Jesus was doing this, and they still didn't catch it. How blind they were. Well, in this case here, it's just talking about the Messiah being mocked. 
And as we we read this, let's take a look at it. Um, Isaiah 50, verse 6 reads, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Oh my gosh, this is, this is remarkable. This is hundreds of years before Jesus is going to be scourged, yet this is talking specifically about this. He's going to be made fun of. Remember the Romans made fun of him. They put a robe on him, put a crown on his head of thorns, put a scepter in his hand, and they took it away from him. They beat him with it. They whipped his back. They spit upon him. They slapped him and all sorts of things. And it's described. I'm just not making this up. Let's, let's take a look. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 30, it says, And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Or how about looking at Mark? Mark 14, 65. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Mark also describes in the next chapter, 15, verse 19. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. Of course, they were doing that in mockery which is what this is. It's the mockery of the Messiah, mockery of the servant. Um, And in Luke, Luke gets into this too. Luke chapter 22, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. And of course, John goes into great description on this. In John chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, we read, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. All of these, these four gospel writers, put this down wrote this down, witnessing the event. John, particularly, we know, was there watching the whole thing, writing this down, and as it was occurring, he it is fulfilling what Isaiah wrote in chapter 50, verse 6. Now, some may say, and some critics have told me this, well, this is so accurate because it was written hundreds of years after the time of Christ that Christians, after the time of Constantine, tried to make Jesus, who was just some rabbi teacher, into God, and they, they tried to make these prophecies look like this. So the book of Isaiah was written, I've, I'm not kidding you. I've had many discussions with college professors and and scholars over this. They say that that, uh, Isaiah's uh, prophecies were written after the time of Christ, written after um, like the third century, fourth century AD. Well, the Dead Sea Scrolls totally blow that out of the water because the Dead Sea Scrolls have been proven, and all scholars accept that um, there's at least five copies of the book of Isaiah alone in the Dead Sea Scrolls that have been found. And in those five copies, you find this prophecy, and this was written hundreds of years before Jesus ever walked on the earth in his ministry. There is no way that these critics... What they're saying can possibly be true. They're lying to themselves because they just don't understand. And when I've tried to explain this to them, in some cases, I have been able to get them to see the truth on this, that these prophecies were written hundreds of years beforehand, that Isaiah, living hundreds of years before the time of Christ, wrote um, that the, the Messiah, when he comes, he would be a servant Messiah, and he would be mocked. He'd be spit upon, he'd be beaten and ridiculed, etc. Et they'd pull his beard. All this is described in the scripture. And I said that, and 
I told him, this is written hundreds of years before it happened, not during the time or after the time of Constantine. This is sheer prophecy, and it is absolutely perfect. This is an amazing thing. Oh, I don't know how you are, but I'm, I'm standing up right now in the studio because I can't sit and talk about this. This is so exciting to see how these prophecies, hundreds of years before, in this one here, talking about how they mocked and beat the Messiah, how they beat Jesus, what they did to him, was, was written hundreds of years before. And still yet, the Jews didn't catch it. Talk about being blind. And even today... Scholars will often get into uh, discussions with me on this, and they try and say, no, 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 this was written hundreds of years later. This was not written before the time of Christ. Well, now, I even have a copy hanging on my, uh, in my curio um, just outside the studio of a copy of the Dead Sea Scroll of Isaiah. And um, the scroll... Uh, the actual scroll, mine's a replica, the actual scroll goes back to at least 150, possibly 200 years before Christ was actually uh, born of Mary. And so this, there's no question about it, because this is actually written in that scroll. And you can, you can read it in the Hebrew, um, and you can see this actually took place. So um, we're out of time on this one today, because the next lesson, um, is, we're going to be on number 64. And we're going to almost pick up on the exact same uh, idea and thought that we're on now. And it's um, an amazing thing. It's going to be about the scourging of Jesus, which we just got into, but it's going to go into more detail. Isaiah talks about it in chapters 52 and 53. And because of that, we're going to probably dedicate just one uh, entire session just for that because it's so remarkable. It's just mind-boggling how accurate this was. Um, hundreds of years, written hundreds of years before the event, and it took place exactly. So I want to thank you for joining me today anyway. Um, we got through 63 prophecies at this point, major prophecies, and we've got, um, I don't know, 20 or so still to go here. It is just an amazing study. I hope you're gaining a lot out of this and getting to see how some people have told me that by um, when I have taught this in the past that this showed them beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ truly is the Messiah. And I've had some people that, uh, one person in particular who told me that this is what convinced him that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he came into a saving knowledge of Jesus specifically because of this series that we're doing. So I hope this is, um, you're enjoying this, just not getting some education here, but this is drawing you into a deeper appreciation of God and so that you'd be able to praise and worship him even more. Um, that's my goal here, and I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, until we meet again, take care and God bless. I hope you enjoyed that episode. A big thank you is due to our donors for making this ministry possible. Once again, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org slash give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org slash give. And help us keep this broadcast free. You can also support us by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review on this podcast. If you would like to hear Michael live, you can also check out our bookings calendar at evidenceforfaith.org or book your own event with Michael. So this is Charlotte signing off. I'll see you on the next episode.